chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. As we move forward through the book of Acts, we have observed just how powerful the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit gave power to be witnesses, to prophesy, to see visions and dreams, to display wonders and signs, and to speak and understand foreign languages, that the gospel message would go forth. Dr. Lloyd McKee spoke a couple of weeks ago on effective practices of the early church in Acts 2, 41 through 47. And we have learned that and are reminded that the Holy Spirit can do incredible things when God's children are submissive and obedient to the Lord's leading. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we see an amazing demonstration of God's love as he empowers Peter to heal a man who has been lame since birth. If you would, follow along as I read, read the, the story in verses 1 through 8, and then we'll expound all the way down through verses oh, 18, 21, somewhere in there this morning. It says, Now Peter and John were going together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look, to, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, and ra he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at this simple story this morning, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, what an incredible power that you had to allow Peter to heal through you. To take a man who's been lame since birth, who has not been able to walk since birth, and to restore to him his legs and his ankles and his feet so that he could walk and run and jump, but most importantly, praise you for what you had done through him. God, I know that throughout this auditorium this morning, there are those who would love to see your hand at work in their lives. There are those who need to see your hand at work. And maybe they've even forgotten just how powerful you are. They may never experience a miracle in their life, God, in the sense that this lame man did. But daily we can sense your presence. Daily we can see your hand at work. And I pray, God, that we might be able to see that. That we long to see that. That we would expect to see that. Rather than going about our day-to-day -day business, just doing our own thing, minding our own business, God, might we be looking for your power, your Holy Spirit's power to be working in our lives. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in a nutshell, here's what happened. Peter and John are just walking along. They're just going to their way, on their way to the temple. And they happened to notice a man who had been lame. In other words, he's been unable to walk since birth. And it happens to be that this man is a beggar. Uh, not an abnormal sight. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But the lame man asks help of Peter and John. Pretty simple story so far. 
And Peter told the lame man that he could not give him what he did not possess. He said, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have any money to give you. I, I really can't give you what I don't have. But Peter took him by the hand and helped the lame man stand up. And the lame man immediately began to jump, stand, walk, leap, and most importantly, praise God over what the miracle that had just taken place. And everyone knew that this man, that his story was legitimate. And everyone was filled with awe and astonishment as they noticed what took place. Pretty simple story, isn't it? But let me give you nine things that stand out to me about the story, but are a part of, not only a part of the story, but part of God's plan. And I want us to draw some parallels as we uh, go forward in looking at the details of this story. The first detail I want you to notice is that Peter and John were just out walking about on their way to the temple. And I find it in life is that the older we get, the more we are homebound. The more we like to kind of stay inside, the more we become creatures of our own little nest. But if we want to have an impact in the world, you have to get out to where the people are. You can't just sit inside all day long and then expect God to do something through you and use you in a way that would bring glory to himself. We need to get out and about. And as you're out and about, let me just tell you, God opens doors. Say, so well, what does that have to do with me in the story? Well, John and, John and Peter were out walking about. They're on their way to the, to the temple. They're just noticing life as it's taken place. But let me just say this. There are no coincidences with God. It was no coincidence that uh, Peter and John were attracted by this lame man over here. God knew that that would take place. There are no coincidences with God. Do you understand that? Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by happenstance. It's not just luck. God has a plan for our lives over and over. It was no coincidental meeting. But they were out and about. And we need to be out and about looking for those opportunities whereby God might use us. I want you to just for a moment look at Proverbs chapter 16. And just take a little note of this verse. Uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 4. It says, The Lord has prepared everything for His purpose even the wicked for the day of disaster. You see, as Peter and John were out walking about and as they were just going about their business, God had a divine appointment plan. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't luck. It was by God's design. And then over just a couple chapters to the right, chapter 19 and verse 21, it says, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. How many times do we get up in a given day, we get dressed, we go about our day, and we have all these plans that we're going to do this day. We're going to go here, then we're going to go there, and then we're going to talk to so-and-so, then we're going to stop at the store. And we forget that sometimes God has a plan. And we're so set on doing our own thing that we don't contemplate what God might have for us to do. This is one of those circumstances where God had a better plan. In their efforts of doing something good, going to the temple... God had for them to step aside and have a conversation with a man. I see something else in this story that's interesting to me. They happened to notice a man who had been lame or unable to walk since birth. You know, some people are of the mindset that, you know, your, your handicap is because of sin in your life. And, well, you know, that's just something you have to deal with because of the circumstances of your life. In fact, that was the circumstance in John chapter 9. 
It says in verse 1, it says, And as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So there's this kind of this unwritten understanding that, well, if you're handicapped, you're blind, and you're lame, well, you must have done something wrong. Either you or your parents or somebody. And Jesus had to correct their thinking here. And he says, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about why? So that God's work might be displayed in him. You see, God has a plan for all of our lives. As we go about life, we can go about doing our own thing, or we can go about saying, God, what is it that you have for me? And this particular man, he was born lame since birth. And I think the same principle applies for the lame man as it did for the blind man here in John chapter 9. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. You see, God was going to do an incredible work through him, and it's only by God doing the work that his glory would be manifest. So he had, God used this circumstance to bring glory to himself through this handicap. So God always has a reason for what he does. And this man, born lame from birth, was known by many. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Number three, that circumstance that stands out in this story, is that this lame, this lame man was also a beggar. But I want you to understand something about this, and I know it's not rocket science here, but the first thing I want you to understand about being a beggar is that uh, being a lame beggar was not easy. You say, well, that's given. Yes, it is. But here's the part that you may not think about. Every day, someone had to physically put him into that chosen place and then return to physically pick him up and to go home wherever he would spend his nights. Every day, he had to be put there. Every day, he had to be picked up. Every day, the burden was upon someone else to take this man where he needed to go. And here's the circumstance in these days that beggars usually like to sit in either a prominent place outside the king's gates outside the wealthy man's gates or in well-traveled places you see every day people were going to the temple so it, it would just beg the point that everybody every day people were coming by and every day was an opportunity to just cry out for help and beggars such as this man could not enter the temple in fact, God's word reminds us in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 16 through 18, that a lame man was not allowed to go into the temple. Isn't that amazing? Well, consider the miracle itself. The lame man asked help of Peter, and we see this back in our text in verses 2 and 3. So he notices uh, Peter and John coming, coming his way, and he says in verse 2, And, that, uh, as, and uh, a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. So here's a man who has to beg for help. The beggar needed a miracle. Why? Because he realized his dependency on everyone else. And he was willing to ask. And can I just say, this really is an issue of humility here. You see, most of us in this room, we are not dependent on anyone but our own self. Is that true? I mean, for the most part, we do what we want to do, when we want to do it, whenever we want to do it, as often as we want to do it. We are self-sufficient people. And what I found in many lives that I'm connected with is that we are so stinking proud. How dare we ask for help for someone else? We don't want to ask for help. Anyone can relate? I don't want to admit that I need something. 
I don't want to admit that I can't do what I need to do or what I want to do. And therefore, I catch myself unwilling to ask for help and to lower myself to that position of actually admitting that I can't do something. He realized his dependency. But not only that, it's one thing to say I have a need. It's another thing to ask someone to help you through that need. He was willing to ask. How many of us are willing to ask when we do need help? I got this one. It seems like in our day and age, in our culture, asking is the last thing we're willing to do. When every other option is exhausted, then maybe I might make the need known. Something we can learn from the beggar here is that when there is a need, what does God's word say? You have not because ye, or you ask amiss to consume it upon your own loss. So we don't ask with the right motives and the right intentions, or we don't ask. And over and over, God's word reminds us that we need to ask him. It acknowledges our dependency upon God. And he wants us to do that. But not only that, number five. Peter told the lame man that he could not give him what he did not possess. And what the man was probably wanting, as they turned around, he probably expected some type of coinage, some type of silver, gold, something that he could use to prolong his days. Something that he could use to bring life to his circumstance. But you know, the same is true of us. We can't give what we don't possess. That's no different than you and I today, is it? You see, when those around us have needs, we can't give what we don't have. It'd be wonderful to say, hey, you need $1,000? No problem, I'll give it to you. Oh, you need a new car? No, hey, let me meet you over there at uh, Molly Chevrolet and I'll buy you a new truck. I got it, no big deal. But see, that's not reality, is it? We, we think of that in the physical realm, but what about the spiritual realm? We see that there are all those around us that need God. Is that true? We see that on a daily basis. We see the result of a living in a world that is broken, that is sin-sick. And we notice the needs, because the needs are always glaringly obvious. But you can't give them what you don't have spiritually either. If you don't have a vibrant life, a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't give that away either. If you're going to have an effect on someone else, you need to make sure you have what you want to give. And that means you need to take time with the Lord. You've got to spend time with God. You've seen me say it a hundred times over the years. It would be nice to just pour it in there. Just get in there. Mm, yep. just doesn't work that way. You see, you don't get this in here and in here without spending time. There is no shortcuts. Say, so, well, I'm just not good at reading. Get good at reading. You know, we joke as men, it's like, oh no, there's no pictures, tiny words, count me out. I don't read anything other than other, you know, anything smaller than 16 point and big pictures. Discipline yourself. Spend time with God. Because you'll never impart what you don't have. See, Peter looked at him and said, I, I can't give you silver and gold. But you know, I think there's a second point in this little aspect. I think we can and should give what we do have. Take your Bibles just for a moment and turn over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. 
It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. What's that teach us? In principle, when we know that there are needs in the lives of those around us, what should we do? Just say, well, sorry, it's your problem. No, we ought to do If we have the ability to help, we ought to. You see, it's a life that doesn't revolve around me, myself, and I. Turn over to the book of Luke. Chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 6. And verse 35. It says, But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. In helping those that may be our enemies, in helping those who may not deserve it, we are being a picture of Christ to the world that needs it. It says, do it without expecting anything in return. Isn't that hard in our culture? I mean, my brother said to me years ago, he says, if someone asks to borrow money, just give it to them. Don't ever expect it back. That way there's no hurt feelings if they don't. Maybe many of you in this room have done that before. Wonderful. But that's the principle God wants us to live by. No expectations. Being a willing participant in the body of Christ and helping those that have need. How about 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18? Verse 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. Being willing to help with what you have. Not about stockpiling it for myself. Are we willing to give of what we do have? I realize that we can't give what we don't have. But are we willing to give of what we do have? But not only that, from a physical standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, are we filled up with the word so that we can impart it to those who have need? Are we willing to be people who absorb that so we can give that away. Number six. Peter took him by the hand and helped the layman to stand up. What I see in our text here in Acts chapter 3 is that faith was exercised. Wouldn't it have been really easy for that man who said, you know what, I have been lame my entire life. I've never been able to walk. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what that looks like. I'm just going to sit here. What do you mean? What are you going to do? If I give you my hand, what are you going to do with it? Wouldn't that be a probably fair assessment, or at least a reasonable assessment of someone who's been lame for that many years? But what I see is that faith was exercised. You see, you have to be willing to do what is said. I, I can tell you many times over the years that someone has come into my office and said, Pastor, i got this scenario. What do you think we should do? And I'll give some advice, and then they go out and do the exact opposite and wonder why their life is still in turmoil. You have to be willing to do what is said. Or you perpetuate the problem that you're still in. Many times. But for this lame man who was sitting down there begging, what did he have to lose? What did he have to lose? 
You see, the faith was exercised. And then not only was faith exercised, God was glorified. Remember the passage in John 9, verse 3? God does what he does so that he can be glorified in the end. And when God performs a miracle, he alone is worthy of the glory from it. So here's what happened, number seven. The lame man immediately began to jump, stand, walk, leap, and most importantly, praise God. Say, how do I know that? Well, it's in verses seven and eight. He said, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood and started to walk. So he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And then verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. It was evident that from this miracle that just took place, this beggar's case, the healing was instantaneous. Not only was it instantaneously, see something that happened in the story, maybe you didn't pick up on it. Let me read it again, maybe you will. Verse 8, so he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex. Do you realize what just took place there? For the first time in his life, he was able to go inside the temple complex and to worship God like everyone else. Wow. For the first time, he didn't forget the most important thing, to praise God for this miracle. And think about this. Nowhere in the story does it say that the beggar jumped up and gave Peter a hug. Nowhere in the story does it say that he bowed down to Peter's feet because Peter was the one that said, grab my hand. The beggar who had just received this miracle looked to who? He began to worship God. You see, it's not about what we have. It's about the person who gave us what we have. It's not about what you can do. It's about the one who gave you the ability to do. It's all about him. And the beggar knew this. And he jumped up, entered the complex, walking, leaping, and praising God. And then number eight in the story. Everyone knew this man and that his story was legitimate. He had been, the, been lame since birth. A lot of years had passed. There had been a lot of years of people walking by and seeing him and hearing him and noticing him. Many people had observed him so that they knew that this was a legitimate miracle of God. And number nine, everyone was filled with awe and astonishment. And can I say this? This is the appropriate response when God does something. It's an appropriate response. We ought to be in awe of who God is and what he can do. And the miracle opened doors to share Jesus. Because all of a sudden, all these people who had passed are all of a sudden noticing because they're in awe. They knew this guy. They had seen his story. They knew what was taking place. But here's, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. It's hard when you grow up in Minnesota listening to Paul Harvey every week. If you know anything about that, there's always a story behind the story. But here's what's happening. And we see this in verses 11 through 18. 
crowd is beginning to gather. Let me read verse 11. It says, While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. So the people, they can't help notice what has taken place. And all the people are beginning to run over and gather, and they're, they're gawking at this situation that has just taken place. Here's this lame man. He's, he's walking and jumping, and he's leaping, and he's praising God. And saying, I mean, everybody's gathering. Verse 12. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we made him to walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom ye handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. I mean, Peter all of a sudden has got this holy boldness, and he's all of a sudden, I mean, the one who used to open mouth, insert foot, is now is letting it all out. It's you guys who are doing this. You denied him, and you crucified him, and you begged for a murderer. He's the one that did this. I mean, Peter's got boldness here, and he's exclaiming what's taking place. It's not me. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's Jesus who you crucified. It's amazing here, the boldness that came over Peter. Verse 15, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name has made this man strong. Whom you, whom you see and know, so the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. What a miracle that just took place. See, here's what happens. When God does something, it's an opportunity to turn the attention back to himself. You see, everybody knew that here's just a lame man who's been sitting here for years and years and years and years who's begging out for help. And Peter and John come by and says, hey, I don't have any silver or gold, but take my hand, I'll get you to walk. And he points all of it right back to God again. Peter immediately points their attention back to God. And he reminds them of their own actions. You denied this man, Jesus. And Peter says, what you did, you did in ignorance. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. But what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets, that is, his Messiah would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out, and the seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord's of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Think about this. Everything that had just taken place, it wasn't just to give the man his feet back. That's just a smaller part of the picture. The bigger part of the picture is this, so that they can see how powerful God is, and that they would really turn their sight back to him, and God would be glorified through everything that just took place. He says, this whole circumstance, you have to see God's power, and you have to get on your knees and repent. Because that's a powerful God you just denied. Peter exclaims, you did what you did in ignorance. You need to repent and turn back. 
I made a note of Luke chapter 23. Verse 34. Says then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his cloths, clothes and cast lots. You see, just because they didn't know what they were doing didn't excuse them. See, ignorance is not an excuse. Sometimes you can say, Well, I, I just didn't know. You're still accountable. So I didn't mean to do that. You're still accountable. And in 1 Corinthians, just one more verse I want to read, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye did not see and ear did not hear, and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. See, ignorance is no excuse. But even in their ignorance, God loved them. And it was an opportunity for them to turn back and repent of their actions that they had previously done. But look at verse 18 in our text in Acts 3. So but what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets, that is, his Messiah, would suffer, he is fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must welcome him until the times of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Peter reminded them that God's plan would not be altered. From the beginning, he had a plan. And through this little simple story, he uses it as an opportunity to point their focus back on Jesus Christ who had came, who would be their Messiah, who would offer them eternal life, but yet they still denied him, rejected him, crucified him. God has a plan, and man will not thwart it. Scripture reminds us of that over and over. And so we can look at this thing and say, wow, that's a really interesting story. Or we can say, you know what, God has something for me through this story. That things don't happen by accident. God has a plan behind everything that is said and done. And part of that plan is that he would bring glory to himself through the daily actions and reactions of life. And that through everything that God chooses to do, it's for his own glory, not ours. And it's an opportunity to bring praise to him when he does it. And then an opportunity to direct the focus of those who know the circumstances back to himself. So, I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, I want to see God's hand at work. And so often when God does do something, I'm guilty of not sharing that with others. Just the simple things. When God provides, when God meets a need, when God keeps us safe, when God protects us. Over and over, God just continually works in our lives. You know, the beggar wanted something for that day. Remember the old adage? Give a man a fish and he'll eat a meal. Give him a fishing rod, he'll eat 
meals day after day after day after day. The beggar wanted a meal. What God gave him was his life back. He gave him his feet back, the ability to run, jump, leap. But he did it for a bigger picture so that the crowd around him would see the power of God in his life. All I know is this. That every day God gives us circumstances in every one of our lives. And we can kind of, quote unquote, hog those circumstances and say, well, thank you, Lord. Or we can use it as an opportunity to turn people's attention back to God. I'm guilty of that. Because I'm busy. Anyone not busy? Anybody not live on your phone? Live for your employee, employer? Do what you got to do? Life is crazy. But do we slow down and take the moment to say thank you, God? And bring those around us into the story. And say, look what God is. Look who God is. Look what he's done. Anybody else realize that it's, it's just really easy to notice what's not taking place? I mean, it's just easy, isn't it? Because the things that don't go right are glaringly obvious. And it's easy to focus on that. It's easy for people day after day after day to see that guy sitting over there begging. Ah, that's just so-and-so, he's a beggar. He is always there. And go on and be self-absorbed in our own worlds rather than taking the moments that God gives us. Take it all in and respond accordingly. Let's pray.